Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today we're going to be talking about the power of choices and how important each choice, each decision we make can be in our lives. I wanted to start by talking about a fiction book I just finished listening to on Audible called The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. And I think it's my most favorite book I've checked out all year. It's about this woman. Now, I'm not going to give the whole book away, so don't worry if you want to read it, but just an overview. It's about a woman who has felt as though she's made some pretty bad choices in her life. In high school, she was a champion swimmer, and her dad felt she could be an Olympian, but she chose to give it up. In college, she joined a band with her brother, met her fiancé. They got a huge record deal. She walked away from it because her fiance didn't want her on the road. Then her mom got sick and she walked away from the fiance and decided not to get married. So you learn all of this in the first chapter or two, and she decides to commit suicide. And when she does, she goes to this midnight library. And the librarian there in this liminal space gives her a heavy book called Her Book of Regrets. Can you imagine seeing that, Denise? Oh. (laughs) So she looks through the book of regrets, and the library is filled with all these potential lives. And the librarian explains that every choice you make creates a new book in your own midnight library. And so what the main character gets to do is she gets to live the life as though she had made different choices. So first, she gets to experience a life where she was an Olympian swimmer. Then she gets to experience a life where she was the star in the rock band. She gets to experience the life where she didn't walk away from the wedding. She did marry the guy. And it just goes through life after life after life that she lives based on the choices she made. It's a fascinating read or listen, however you choose to check it out. But I highly recommend it because it makes you think. It makes you think about all the crossroads in your own life and the what ifs. Don't you think everyone has a couple of what ifs in them? Yes, because even if you've done your work and you're not living in a place of regret and you're not living in the past, there are those huge, huge pivotal choices that we make that do completely change the trajectory of where our life goes. Do I stay in the marriage? Do I leave? Do I take this job? Do I move across the country? Do I choose to reinvent myself, all of those huge, huge crossroads. But I think as human beings, we always do kind of have it in the back of our mind. Well, that whole, and then if we want to get into quantum physics and, you know, all these lives are happening at the same time anyway, those different choices are playing out in another realm or or vibrational field, which again, story for another day right there. But (laughs) yeah, I think it's huge. Do you believe in parallel lives? I do. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fascinating rabbit hole to go down. So all of this thinking about choices and what ifs and what would be in my book of regrets if I have my own midnight library um, led me to find this TED talk by Carolyn Mace, where she talks about the power of choices. And she says in this talk that we are born knowing that choice is powerful. Choice is the most powerful thing we've got going for us and we know it. And that's the reason why we're terrified to make a choice. Do you think we all realize that, the power of our choices? That's one of the hugest, hugest things that 
changed my life and also that I was really intent on my sons having as they grew up was that you always are making a choice and it gives you a tolerance and an understanding for what other people may be choosing to do with their own lives or decisions they've made that may impact you. But when you really get to that place of saying, I made a choice, this action led to this consequence, there's an accountability and a sense of self that results from that, that changes everything because you can't hide from yourself. You can't make excuses. You can't blame someone else. You have to own your shit. Yeah. And that's, and that's important to realize as is not making a choice is a choice. Right. And I think it's important to recognize that as well. Choosing to stay stuck or stagnant is a choice. Again, I, we, you and I have both been in situations where, and so many of our listeners, where life feels like it's spinning out of control. No, I didn't choose this. I don't agree with that. Why would I choose this, this dysfunction or this anger or this loss or this grief? But what we can choose is how we react to it, how we, we, we come from our own inner place of how am I going to get through this? How am I responsible enough with myself to make sure that I'll take care of myself through this transitional time? Well, and also looking at the motivation behind your choice as well. Am I choosing this because it's going to make everyone else happy? Am I choosing this because it's the easier path? Am I choosing this because it's the safest path? I think it's important not only to recognize where you have the power of choice, but to also focus on what's the motivation for the choice I'm making. Right. So in her talk, she discusses five choices that we can make right now that will change our lives and empower us. And the first one is to live with integrity. And she says that liars don't heal. People who deliberately say something to hurt others or people who blame others for their problems won't heal. They make the decision to live a life without integrity. And so they have this lack of healing in their lives. Do you think that's true? I do. I do. Because if if anyone has been around people that are pathological liars, chronic liars, aren't in a place of integrity, they may have been in a situation where someone that they cared about had uh, addictive behaviors or substance abuse issues, which often leads to lying as a byproduct. I think so many people make a conscious choice to say, I can't do that. I can't lie. And I think it does change your life in many, many, many ways when you commit to that integrity. One of the things that's helped me so much about getting in touch with my intuition and my empathy and having that dialogue with my spiritual team, I always have this little twinge of knowing if I'm doing something off path. Do you know what I mean? You get that little nudge of, eh. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that even if I tell a little white lie, I get that twinge of repercussions here. Like if I tell a friend, oh, I can't, I can't do such and such with you because my kid has a cold. Remember using that when your kids were little? No. Am I alone there? (laughs) I, I would use other things like, oh, sorry, I can't. I have to do, I'm here with the boys. But it was nice to have that that buffer to get yeah. out of it. 
Yeah, but I would get that little twinge of that's not okay. And so I've learned to, you know, walk the walk and live in truth. And it's not easy to always be truthful. It's not always easy to be truthful with others. And it's not easy to be truthful with yourself. And yet, if we do want to have a life of integrity, I think this is an important choice to always choose the truth. And you can say the truth in kind ways. You know, how many narcissists do we know who say, well, I'm just being honest? No. (laughs) So we're not talking about being honest at all costs, because sometimes, you know, you do have to tell your friend, no, no, that multicolored haircut looks great on you, but (laughs) you can still do it from a place of truth. Right. And also committing to that truth. So I think we're getting bombarded with so many choices all the time that what is the term for that decision fatigue where you can't make any decisions because there's so many little micro decisions that you're getting blasted with all day long. And they say to just pick one thing, commit to it. And then you have that, that choice of how you respond or react. And I think that that's really important to consider in all of this. The other thing she mentions in this talk that has really stayed with me, she says, choose not to pass on your suffering, but your wisdom. I think that's really, really powerful that you don't pass on your suffering, meaning you don't bombard your children or your friends or whoever with stories of how painful your past was. Instead, you don't bombard yourself with it, you know, like, oh, I'm not where I thought I would be because A, B, and C happened to me when I was younger. Instead, you choose to pull the nuggets of wisdom that came out of difficult times. And it's important in that to recognize that life isn't fair. She says, um, she tells this story that I thought was really interesting. She says, I had someone tell me one time, well, if I only knew, if I only knew why this happened to me, then I would heal. And Carolyn says, well, what difference would that make? What if God sent an angel and the angel said, what do you want? I mean, you've been banging around down here. What do you really want? And the person said, I want to know why this happened and this happened and that happened. And what if the angel said, because it did. Now what? She says, look at what happens to you and say that it will never defeat you. Turn your suffering into wisdom. Don't live in woe. Choose wisdom over woe. Yeah, I like that because it correlates with that. Are you responding to the situation or or what happened or are you reacting to it? And when you respond you're able to be emotionally detached and a little more objective and stay calmer. But when you're reacting, you might completely lose your focus. You're not exercising that ability to take a step back and say, I really need to look at this through a wider lens. It's that instantaneous reaction that, that almost had like when someone cuts you off in traffic and all of a sudden you're, you know, out the window, up to your waist, waving the middle finger and screaming expletives. Whereas <laughs> you, you're reacting, you're not responding. Not that any of us would ever have had that experience, but of course saying. <laughs> yeah, she says, here's the thing. Some of the grief and injuries that have happened to people are so horrible, it's unbelievable. And the truth is nothing can make that go away. Nothing can make that better. And the model of healing that we have to have is a model that says, Healing is not about forgetting those things. It's not about forgetting. 
It's about looking at what is happening to us and saying, this will never defeat me. And finding a way, some of the people that I'm, I'm blessed to talk with or, or share time with, they have had adversity or circumstances that all you can do is sit and shake your head and say, why did this one person get dealt so many lessons in, in one lifetime? But it also so, so many times gives people a level of empathy, compassion, understanding that is deep and real and true because of what they've been through, that they haven't let it define them. But as you mentioned earlier, they've found the wisdom in that to be able to help other people get through what they may be experiencing. Exactly. And I think if you have done this, if you have passed on your suffering and not your wisdom, I don't think you should judge yourself either because sometimes we just don't know better. You know, it's just what we have. It's our story in that moment. I mean, just the other month um, over the holidays, my daughter said to me, have you ever spent a holiday alone, mom? And I said, yeah, when I was in high school, uh, my parents went away for Thanksgiving and I was all alone. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, they had this trip planned and I don't know, I just didn't go and I stayed home alone. And she said, you've got to stop telling me stories about Gigi because they just make me sad. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, because to me, that's just a story. You know, it's not like I didn't feel that I was passing on my suffering to her. I was just she asked a question. I answered it. It, it was it was actually a really good Thanksgiving. I'm telling you, if you if you come from a family like I came from, sometimes holidays alone are a blessing, right? <laughs> but in her sweet little heart, she took that as, oh, my mom was sad at one point, and that makes me sad. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes we pass on our suffering without even realizing it. Instead of saying, okay, what did all of that teach me? Well, it taught me how to be a better mom. It taught me more compassion. It taught me how to be strong. It taught me independence. Pass that on rather than the sad story of Samantha alone on Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Well, I think it, it, that's a perfect example because you did make a choice of you could have wallowed in it. You could have had resentment and anger and bitterness and blame and said that that ruined my life. And I would never, but instead you said, you know, now this is something I don't want my children to ever have to experience, which is so much healthier. Right, right. But I did feel in that moment that, oh, like I passed on that suffering and I thought, oh, I got to watch my stories, you know? Right. And so I think it's important to be aware of how other people will receive some of our words and our stories. The other thing she says is to take risks. Make the choice to take risks. Don't wait for proof or certainty. Okay, I do that in some situations. I wait for proof. I wait for certainty. I definitely evaluate both sides. I'll, I'll go to that other side of my brain and overanalyze things and think about it and read about it and you know just dwell and go back and forth and back and forth. And then I'll just make a decision and say, boom, I'm doing this. But the, the risk thing is, I thought this was my age and I was about a month or so ago, I woke up and I thought, Ooh, I really need to do some of the things that I want to do because the day will come when I can't. And that, that sense of, you know, you don't want to look back and say, why didn't I do it? Well, I still had 
you know, the mobility or the cognitive or the resource, whatever it might be. And I think that's important for all of us, no matter what your age is or what you're doing, is don't put off what you really want to do because that someday you don't want to look back and say, wow, that option, that ship is gone. I can't do it now. Yeah, exactly. She says, you will always hit the regret stage. And that's when you begin to weaken, push through it. Don't take the safe path. Don't look backwards for guidance. Don't look behind you to chart your new path. What if I'm humiliated by this? What if I can't take the consequences of it? What if I'm too frightened? What if I'm alone? What if this costs me too much money? Well, what if? And to this, she says, I would say, go home and ask yourself, how many of my greatest fears have actually really happened? That's an important one. That, that's really important. It's also valid if, if we go back to what we were saying a few minutes ago about people who have been through really horrific situations or their choices or someone else's choices led to one of those big crossroads. And it's hard not, it, it's a fear-based reaction to not want to experience that again. I don't want to open my heart or go for the risk for the better job or make the move or because of past experiences still keeping us stuck in that pattern rather than being brave enough to say it happened, it, it helped me become who I am now and I need to move forward and, and try something different. Right. And I think knowing who you are helps in this process of taking risks. Like for me, I'm not a jump in feet first, ask questions later person. I will evaluate both sides. I will ruminate and think about it and meditate on it and ask for signs. But once I've made the decision, then I do dive in and I don't look back. So, so you don't get those moments of, oh, dear God, what the hell was I thinking? Like in the middle of something? I'm sure I do. But I mean, with like... <laughs> Like with big stuff, I mean, when I left my teaching career, I definitely thought about it for a long time and I had worries and fears. And I think they were all legitimate worries and fears of what will people think? Will I humiliate myself? What are the consequences? How can I walk away from benefits and 401k and all of that? But once I made the decision and dove in, I really didn't look back and go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, and, and, there are other decisions where I go back and forth. Like I have my minivan still, it's paid off. I don't need a minivan anymore, right? So I went down to the car dealership to look at a car. I test drove it. They ran my credit. I had the offer on the table. I was about to sign it. And I was like, why am I doing this? I have one kid in college, one kid getting ready to go. Why not just drive this old minivan for one more year and save all that money? And I just walked away from the dealership. Denise, the guy was dumbfounded. Mm-hmm. He was like, what do you mean you're walking away? I'm like, I just, I'm going to wait a year. I, you guys will still be here in a year. These cars will still be here and I'm just going to pocket this money I'm saving for right now. And he went to his boss and they took off like tons more money off the deal. And I was like, no, I'm good. Thank you. They, they thought I was like playing hardball. Yeah. But no, it was just me evaluating both sides of that risk. And, you know, I'm fine with that decision. And so I think it's important to just recognize who you are. If you're a take risks, ask questions later type of person, that's fine. If you're a slow and steady wins the race, that's fine. But don't let either way that you evolve and interact with life 
prevent you ultimately from taking risks. Right. I mean, do you mind sharing what your, your class that you're taking right now? Cause I think it's so cool. Do you mind sharing that on the show? Oh, well, but the, the class that I took on, on journeying, shamanic journeying. No, on your motorcycle license. Oh, <laughs> well, I took the class a couple of years ago and I got my permit. I didn't pass the, the practical because I was nervous and overwhelmed and I'd never ridden a motorcycle before. So every, you, you know, my deal, every year I learned something new. So I'm going back to retake the class so that I can get the endorsement on my license this time. So How I've been riding, I've had a permit for a couple of years. So I've been riding for two years now. So now I can go back and have more confidence. So th- again, it goes with choice. I could have chosen to say, oh, I'm just going to let this, I didn't do it. I didn't do well. I'm never going to get on another motorcycle again. Or you can choose to say, you know, buck up and get better at it and then try again. See, I just find you so inspiring and the way you decide to interact with life, just so empowering. I mean, this is a woman who lived off the grid for how many years? Oh, not not a long time, but I've had that experience. You've driven cross country by yourself several times. You've Uh learned how to handle an RV. You're learning to ride a motorcycle. I mean, I think that's really cool. You are not risk averse. (laughs) No, almost to the extreme, not risk averse, which there can be that that's not always a good thing. Believe me. No, I think I think it's a wonderful thing. And I think that taking risks doesn't necessarily mean getting on a motorcycle or driving cross country by yourself. It can also mean taking risks like reaching out to that new friend you met and asking them to meet you for lunch. Mm-hmm. It can mean taking that risk to show up at the exercise class and, you know, not worrying if you're going to embarrass yourself because you don't know how to do the the steps. So there can be small risks that lead to greater rewards and there can be big risks, but making that choice to say, I'm going to take risks this year, I think can be super, super empowering. And as soon as you said that, doesn't it really feel like so many people are trying to find their voice in one way or another, you know, hit, hit publish on the blog post or write down the song lyrics or, you know, choreograph the new dance or whatever that is that's, that's bubbling up in your soul that wants to come to fruition, find a way to put that out there and be brave enough to do it. Because to me, that's, that's as maybe in some ways a bigger risk than learning to ride a motorcycle or drive an RV across the country. Because there's a vulnerability with that of people seeing who you really are and maybe something you've kept protected or safe or not many people know about you. I think that to me, I I respect that so, so much when people are brave enough to do that. Yeah, I do too. And we need more people like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fourth thing she mentions is to choose new words. And she talks about this a lot. Words are powerful. Uh, She mentions three in particular that we should remove from our vocabulary, entitled, blame, and deserve. And she says, listen to this quote, Denise. When we finally do a quantum energy medicine, micro energy medicine, we will finally do analysis, energy analysis at a level that includes the power of the vocabulary that we use. And we will be able to say to people, your vocabulary is so toxic. That the vibration of your neurology includes thoughts, includes frequencies, 
that are so toxic that even if you do visualization, it is offset by your vocabulary that is organically negative. You get up in the morning, you're hostile. Your first thoughts are angry. You see your life as not enough. You see others as not enough. Your first reaction to everything is critical. Your first reaction is this is not good enough. They're not good enough. And I think that is so interesting to think about. Do you think one day science can show us that our words are toxic to our energy levels? Well, just think about when you say, I have to versus I get to. I have to go to work today. I get to go to work today. I mean, totally different energy. Still the same outcome. That's so true. Yeah, that is so true. I think about, you know, remember Wayne Dyer used to do those exercises on his PBS specials where he would show if you if you hold a word to you, it it lowers your your physical response or the work of Dr. Yamoto with the water and how it reacted to negative words versus positive words. Mm-hmm. And I think we know all of this. And yet sometimes those negative words play on such a subtle subconscious level, we're not even aware of it, which again is why I think moments of stillness, silence, and meditation are so important because they help you become aware of the negative things you're thinking about yourself or your day, your environment, or your situation. Well, I said something to the other day, and I realized it was an expression I hadn't heard since I was a kid. And it was one of the things my mother used to say. And I laughed and I brushed it off and I said, oh, I'm channeling my mother. And it was, you know, it was funny. But then after, later in the day, I thought back on it and I thought, Imagine saying those words to a little person and how they would internalize that as truth and own it. And I think when you're talking about this power of the words, sometimes we'll, we'll say things just because it's a habit or because it's something we learned as a child or something we believe, but it's never too late to switch those patterns. I agree. Do you think words are more powerful than feelings? Because see, I've always thought I can say all the affirmations I want. I can visualize all the positive stuff I want, but until I get my emotions on board with those words and those visualizations, manifesting isn't going to happen. Right. And that's what a lot of the people who really promote, create it, manifest it, see it, um, what is it? Anyway, um, bring it to fruition. You have to feel it. You have to feel what would it be like to have that job? What would it be? How would I feel if I was in a loving, respectful relationship? Not who I want to bring in with this person on a white horse. You have to like hook the emotion in with the words and the manifestation in order for the truest impact of it, from what I understand anyway. Yeah, I think that's true. And so if you're thinking negative things about yourself, I do think it's important to switch up that words, those that those words, that vocabulary. But I also think it's just as important to focus on the emotions. You know, how are you treating yourself emotionally? How are you hugging yourself today? And and if you want to look on it as a timeline, you can choose to stay where you are and stay stuck and stagnant or not moving forward. You could wish things that from the past were different, but they're still going to be the same as they were. Or you can step up and say, this is what I want to bring into my life next. And this is the, these are the choices that are going to get me there. And these are the feelings that I want to equate with that. Right. Right. I think, too, being aware of what you're saying, how you're saying it, I think tone is really important. 
Unbelievable. Yes. Another reason why I don't really like texting because so much tone is lost in that. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking to yourself about yourself, focus on the words you're saying, the tone you're using, and, you know, have open dialogue with friends because for me, it's my friends who have pointed out some of my negative self-talk more than me putting it out to myself. And I have found that really, really helpful. Like I was working on a project that I was really hoping was going to come to fruition. And I said to my good friend, I don't even want to talk about it. I'm afraid to jinx it. And he said, don't, don't even put that out there. Why? Just that sentence shows that you're already doubting it. Why would you think you even could jinx it? And I didn't even, it was just an expression. It wasn't like I was actually saying I was going to jinx this project by talking about it. Mm-hmm. But he's right. Just saying that is showing that there's some negative self-talk going in underneath the radar of my conscious. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it's important to tell your friends too, you know, if if they're open-minded to talk about metaphysical stuff like this, hey, if you catch me saying stuff that's like out of whack with what I'm trying to create for myself, you know, help me notice it. Or if you don't have friends that you can talk to openly about that, again, this is where journaling can come into play, where you can just kind of see it in writing, like, oh, that's not good. That's not helping me. That's not a, a, a word choice that I want to make. She also says that if we use our words to blame others, it's kind of like, remember that, that old example, if you point a finger at someone, there's four fingers pointing back at you. So she says, blaming anyone or everything will take you out of your present. Because if you're blaming others, she says, I assure you, someone's blaming you. Someone's in therapy because they know you. So stop <laughs> looking at the world through your eyes. Okay, I really hope no one's in therapy because they know me. So I think that's kind of an extreme statement for some of some people, but but it's it's a good point that blaming others really gets us nowhere. It also is so much easier, some especially now this ties in with what you were saying a minute ago. If the emotion connected with that, if someone has really hurt you or you were devastated in a breakup or your family of origin choice, whatever it might be it's easier to blame. But I think that's a huge part to know that your healing is when you don't blame anymore. And you say, well, that was their life path, or they were making those choices. And I don't have to let it define me for the rest of the time that I'm here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And being able to name what you're doing and what you're feeling is important in this aspect as well. When, for example, those of you who listen to the show know I have a very toxic mother when I set firm boundaries with her and there have been times where I just won't talk to her because, you know, she's in one of her chaotic negative states and my sisters will say to me, you've got to stop blaming her and living in the past and just engage her. And I, I honestly don't blame my mother. I, to me, I look at her like um, an amputee, right? Like she's, maybe she's missing a heart. I don't know, but she's, she's missing something. She's missing some empathy gene, some compassion gene. I don't blame her for that. I have totally released any blame for that. I just recognize that she's someone who's always going to attack whoever is in her physical presence. And so I choose not to be around that presence as much as I can. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important when you're, when you're dealing with toxic people, to recognize I'm not living in the past. I'm not living in blame. 
Okay. What I'm trying to say is I think a lot of empaths get stuck here because they want to be compassionate and empathic to everybody. They want to be inclusive to everyone. They want to share their love with everyone. And yet, in my experience, there are some people who are so toxic, they can't receive that love. They can't reciprocate that love. They can only attack. And so choosing not to engage them does not mean you're blaming them, does not mean you're not healed, does not mean you're not a forgiving person. It means that you are choosing to put yourself first. And I really think empaths need to hear that and recognize that that's okay. In some situations, I'm not talking like with just any negative person. I mean a, a toxic person, a true narcissist. And that can be beyond difficult when you have to set those boundaries with people that may be in your family of origin. They may be in your nucleus of your family right now and, or dear friends that you've known forever or, or people in your work environment that you have to deal with every day. That's not easy work, but it also is goes back to that first point you made about integrity. Are you living in your in- integrity and truth or are you sitting in the back seat waiting to see where you're going to end up. Right, right. And I think not blaming others means you don't you don't drop responsibility for the actions and choices you're making today because your family of origin embedded something in you, right? Like right. I've always said I'm shy because of, you know, my mom. But I don't would you describe me as shy now? No. No, because I've recognized that I released it and I healed it. And so I think that's where I believe she's talking about with the blame, you know, where you recognize you can't let what old tape someone put in your head years ago, you can't let that still be determining the choices and actions you're making today, because that's only hurting you. And it's, it's an excuse. It's an excuse so you don't have to own your stuff. Exactly. And then the last one she mentions, and this one I think is so important, even though it it sounds deceptively simple, choose to get up every single day and bless your day. Choose to get up every day and bless the day, not based on what you have to do or what you feel, but just being grateful because you are. Be thankful for the day and the present moment. And, And that's something I have to sometimes fake it till I make it. Because most days I wake up to my dogs barking at me to take them out. And my first thought is, oh, what time is it? And I don't want to get up and go outside in the cold or the dark and let them out, turn off the alarm and all that crap. And I have to remind myself to refocus and recalibrate and be grateful that I have two little dogs that are so excited to see me that they have to bark to wake me up. That takes practice and effort. Or sometimes you wake up and you, do you ever have those days where you wake up at 6 a.m. and you know, I'm not going to be back in this cozy bed until 10 p.m. because I have so much crap to do today. And you just have that ugh feeling. Switching that up and just pausing before your feet hit the floor and saying, thank you for this day. Dear God, dear higher power, I ask you to bless this day and receive my gratitude in return. It changes everything. I think if you start the day that way and end the day that way, and it's not about bank accounts or or the address you live at or who's in your life. It's really, really about being grateful for that. For me, personal opinion, 
my connection with spirit and for, you know, that the, truly I'm so grateful for this day. And it might be that the sun was out or that you had enough to eat or you felt good that day. It doesn't have to be stuff. It can be your internal gratitude compass. Yeah. And choosing to carve out time for that is really important. But really, it, really important. But it's one of those habits, don't you think, that you just start yes. doing it. It becomes part of your day like anything else. Yeah, I agree. It's something that you have to almost add to your to-do list. But she talks a lot in there about how recognizing that each moment we experience in a day will never come again. And as my kids are getting older, I am so cognizant of that on a daily basis. You know, like these moments of just sitting on the couch with my kids, like as they all start going off to college, you know, that's all going to shift and change. Do you ever think about that? Like every person you see in that moment in that day you'll never see them like that in that moment in that day again. And so holding on to that, being present and just being grateful for that is so important. There's a great quote by Viktor Frankl on this. It's between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And that seems to sum up exactly what you were just talking about is you're choosing to say, wow, I get to be on the couch with these girls right now at this time and place. And it might not ever be the same, or it might, ne well, you might never revisit this in the same way, but I'm going to enjoy this so much right now and, and remember it and cherish it and hold that space because there is growth and freedom in that to let it evolve into the next stage in their lives and the next stage in your life that will be different, but equally as good. Exactly. You know, there's a movie I really like. I don't think it got great reviews. It's with Adam Sandler. I think it's called Click. And he's married and he's got this high pressure job and he's these little kids. And he goes to Bed Bath & Beyond where he meets Christopher Walken. And he hands him a remote control that allows him to fast forward through the boring moments of his day. And okay. I just thought that concept was so interesting. So every time like his kids are having a temper tantrum or his wife asks them to drive the carpool, he'll hit the fast forward on this clicker. And what happens is it gets stuck on fast forward. And the next scene, he's sitting at the table and all his kids are grown and he's missed it. Oh, I know. And I just think that's such a really powerful concept because how many moments of your day are kind of boring and you would like to fast forward through them? I know I'd love to fast forward through all the loads of laundry and dishwasher cycles I run and, you know, vacuuming and all that crap we have to do in our day, washing the car. But yet, even in those quote unquote boring moments, there are joyful moments to be found. And if we fast forward through all of them, we lose so much of the joy within each day. Very, very true. She says that alone, just blessing your day, that choice alone will take out of your heart every bitter taste there ever was. Oh. Yeah, that's pretty impactful. So we know Carolyn Mays can be a little abrupt and, you know, kind of opinionated with some of her statements. But I think this TED Talk really does, and I'll post it on Facebook so you guys can watch it if you want. But I think it really mentions 
some really great choices we can start to make right now so that if we ever do go to the Midnight Library, our book of regrets will be like a pamphlet. (laughs) (laughs) But don't you think that empaths in particular need to be mindful of the power of their personal choices? Because empaths are such givers. We just want to be there for everyone. And I think we have to remember that sometimes we have to choose us. And in those choices, if we choose integrity, if we choose risks, if we choose new words, and if we choose to bless our day, we're going to learn how to choose ourselves and choose a much happier life and a happier way of interacting with the life we have. And even if life doesn't feel like you have a lot of choices right at this very moment, you can always choose how you are reacting. Or yes. responding. Yes. So before we finish, uh, Denise and I just wanted to mention we've gotten some emails and comments from you guys that our audio has been off. When we listen to it on either Apple or Spotify, we're not hearing that. So Denise has worked really hard to figure that out. And so we're not sure if it's happening to everyone and just not us, or if it's only happening to some, but just wanted to let you all know that we appreciate your feedback. Um, The comments you've given us have been so kind and so helpful. Uh, One person said, even if I have to adjust the volume every time one of you talks, I'll still keep listening. So we really appreciate that, but just wanted to let you know that we are working on it and trying to fix those kinks. Yes. Thank thank you guys so much for listening. Please remember, as always, to show up, do good work, and share your light. Take care.